Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Boy, do we have a game to recap for you. Guys, I think that was the most fun I have ever had at a football game. I mean, it's like seven lead changes in the second half. The Titans did what we knew, sort of, and maybe doubted, but still kind of thought the Titans were capable of doing, which is showing up in a game, battling through, playing with good fundamentals, with good coaching, and beating a really good team. It, 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 was, it was good to see all around, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, everybody who bought a ticket to that game, and by the way, you know you can have a conversation about well, what percentage was Titans fans, what was Bills fans? Regardless, that is the fullest I have ever seen Nissan Stadium. And the, the first Titans game I ever went to was in 2011. And I've been going, I've gone to a lot of games since then. I've gone to every game since like 2016. Um, that's the fullest I've ever seen Nissan Stadium, easily. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't there, but it looked awesome. And... Um, it's just awesome to win a primetime game. These types of games are always really important uh, to win, not only for the record, but also for for the fans who go uh, and they come away with uh, one of the best memories, you know, uh, that you could have a- as a football fan. So, so that's awesome for them, for those who went. Uh, but even for me, like, I could sense that this kind of felt like a playoff game. There are regular season games um, that just feel like playoff games. And I think... This was definitely 
uh, one of them. And it's awesome that the Titans were able to pull this out. Um, it kind kind of reminded me a little uh, of when they beat the Chiefs in the regular season. Uh, I think that was two years ago now, and just a huge win. Uh, really needed it, and the Titans have really uh, cemented themselves in the AFC playoff picture, and and are going for more because they could definitely get one of the top seats. Yeah, I mean. You know, we we talked about this. I I don't know if we predicted it or if we talked about like it, it would be a weird nightmare scenario. But week two, no, week three. It was after the uh, Colts Titans game where the Titans won. We we're talking about how the Titans could be sitting at four and one if they took care of business, and then how the Titans always play up to the teams like the Bills and the Chiefs, and how you know if we caught them sleeping or you know even. If not, if we were confident that the Titans could really beat anybody in the league. So it's not a surprise that they won. It is a little bit of a surprise that they started out so poorly. Like, you know, you talked about how loud, how full the stadium was and the experience and stuff. It, It was nuts. It was genuinely, like you said, the most people I've ever seen. Like, I've been a season ticket holder forever. So, you know, my my family's had tickets forever. So... I mean, I've been to a lot of games, and you know, the bridge after the game, everybody walking back, it just seemed like more people that I'd ever seen. The Bills fans were so loud, and then the Titans just held up in the red zone and forced two field goals, and then as soon as Derrick Henry popped his long run, it, it was truly the momentum shifted to the Titans fans in the stadium, and for the first time, maybe in in memory for me the titans fans were loud and active on first down in the first quarter you know they didn't wait until it was third down and the team you know was in the red zone and they had to get a sack or else the game was over because too long they've just kind of sat back and accepted that we're not going to cause any false starts we're not going to be effective like don't don't even worry about it. But this was the first time that they seemed to actually compete and be ready to yell with the other team. And that, I mean, that was exciting. I think for me, a a game like that is sort of a reminder of why I fell in love with NFL football growing up. I mean, the biggest stars are shining on the biggest stage. Derrick Henry played out of his mind. Josh Allen, though not spectacular, played well. Stephon Diggs showed up. Julio Jones showed up. Prime time. Everyone's watching. A meaningful game between two good teams. And the game itself was entertaining. Came down to the wire. I mean, it's it, it was just it was awesome. It, it was absolutely awesome. And I want to transition in into getting into some analysis of this game. Let, let's do as uh, as uh, the great Oscar Hammerstein wrote in The Sound of Music. Let's start at the very ending, and let's talk about... Oh, no, wait. I need... Uh, uh, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I confused myself. <laughs> I was thinking of something that's not The Sound of Music. And it was. It's a good quote, though. Well, start at the very beginning is the quote, not start at the very ending. (laughs) 
Okay. Whew. I don't even know where to... Uh... <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in there. I'm not going to cut all that out. Let's get into some analysis of this game. Let's start at the ending, the goal line stand. I, I talked to our a- analytics friend, Calvin Smith. He said that he thinks that the analytics pointed to going being the right choice there for Sean McDermott and the Bills. Jeffrey Simmons said that basically or, or every time on film that Josh Allen did the thing where he starts in the shotgun and then runs up to under center, that like every time they did that it was a sneak, so the Titans knew what was coming. Uh, well played, although Allen slipped, and I don't know that you know Simmons ended up having a whole lot to do with it, but I will say if Allen hadn't slipped, I think Simmons was in a good position to make the play. So, guys, I guess just transitioning to that last drive, what did you think? What about the decision to not call a timeout from Vrabel? And it feels strange to live in a world where the Titans' defense has the game on the line and Vrabel and and Ben Jones, who both talked about this, are both like, yeah, they're probably going to get it done. Yeah, I personally probably would have used some of my timeouts just to give my offense a chance just in case uh, the Bills would come away with a touchdown. Um, But it worked out, so I guess we can't really fault the process too much. Um, I think if the Bills would have ran a normal play, I I don't really understand the decision to sneak there because even if you get it, you still have to call a timeout and you're going to have like, what, 15 seconds or something like that um to run a play in the end zone i don't understand why they didn't just go for the end zone uh on fourth and one but i mean it is what it is the titans benefited from it and rabel was kind of justified uh in his actions although i don't i really don't know if the process is the right decision um i don't like what rabel did with his timeouts in this game to be honest like at the end of the half i i did get a couple comments um because I thought the Titans really should have tried to use some of their timeouts uh, before the first half ended. Uh, the Bills went on like a four-minute drive, I think, and the Titans could have used some of their timeouts towards the end of that drive just to preserve a little bit of time. Uh, and then once the Titans got the ball back, they still had 34 seconds, which with three timeouts, it, it's enough to get you into field goal range, especially when you have Tannehill and Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. But... They decided not to use those timeouts. Some people mentioned that, you know, uh, Batson had just gotten injured. Uh, they had a couple injuries. Um, Caleb Farley, I think, had gotten injured also. So it's possible Mike Vrabel just wanted to go into halftime, regroup, uh, and then come out ready to go for the second half. Uh, it kind of ended up working, but the Bills were getting the ball out of the, out of the halftime. So... I wasn't too fond of that. And then at the end of the game, I also would have used some of those timeouts. But it is what it is. It worked out, and Vrabel comes out looking like like one of the smarter coaches in the NFL. So good for him. Yeah, I really don't have a problem going uh, on the sneak there because the Bills still had a timeout. And the way I figure it is it's fourth and inches, and you have three things that can happen. You can either get stopped, which is what happened, you can convert the first down and take a timeout, and then you have a couple of shots in the end zone, and then you can still kick the uh, kick the like ten yard field goal, 
or you can sneak and you hit a soft spot in the defense and you sneak all the way and you just score on that play. Because, I mean, they weren't but well, on like the two or three yard line. So, I mean, they were right there. Like in the stands, that was my concern. Is I was like, I wish they would kick it for the Titans' sake. Because if you kick it to go to overtime, then you reset the ball game. The Titans have done well in overtime under Vrabel. That gives us the best chance compared to, you know, fourth down in inches with one timeout and 22 seconds left on the clock. So from that standpoint, I think he did the thing that was scariest to Titans fans. Now, I don't know if the stats back it up because I don't know what the percentage of all those things are. But at the end of the day, you know, Luke, you talked about how Allen slipped and all that. I mean, yeah, like kind of. But there's the the reason why he couldn't just take another step forward is because Simmons just absolute like not not he was in good position it looked like he was the offensive lineman sneaking like he was so far underneath the pads of the offensive lineman and he was wedging his way back there that the the lineman might might have well just not been there like he that he just did not impact Simmons in any way so I, I think even if he didn't slip Simmons was going to have him around the legs at that point anyway, and it would it then it's can the other guys get in the way and stop it, and you know who knows at that point. But yeah, like I, I agree with you, Matthias. I wish they would have used the timeouts in the first half after the Bills had scored instead of running the ball, or even if you want to run the ball and then run a play action off of it and decide from there. But don't concede you know, 54 seconds, I think, or something. It was somewhere in that area and three timeouts. Like, you know, I guess it's because they hadn't been particularly hot throwing anybody yet. And that would come later in the game when Tannehill and AJ Brown really like remembered what they did well. But I I, I still would have liked to take some kind of like intermediate shots just to see if you could get in long field goal range. The dumb part was not going for it. The dumb part was a, not running an RPO <coughs> or something that got Allen on the move. Also, Dumb was running right at Jeffrey Simmons. What were they thinking? That's yeah, that's the problem to me. Like yeah. you, you can you can run a quarterback. I mean, how often do quarterback sneaks fail? Like historically, it's one of the most successful plays. You know, it's way more successful. Like, think about what Jacksonville did. I mean, it's it's that whole thing. Like everybody criticized Urban Meyer because he wouldn't sneak Trevor Lawrence, and they had that whole post game press conference thing because they handed it off. So you got to think the Bills are watching a game that were last week. They just absolutely messed up that call. If, if we're talking about Jacksonville, and they did the opposite, so why not sneak it? And then it turns out, oh, sneak it to the right and not the left, or do something else because. You're not going to sneak. How many times have we seen Jeffrey Simmons get a fourth down stop? Like, it's got to be almost double digits at this point, right? Like, I mean, he's been incredible on short down and distances. Allen didn't even make it back to his center. No, no, because, like, the whole line got pushed back. It was uh, was not not good execution, not, not a great play call, I didn't think. Let's talk about the moments that led to that. Because in the first half, or really the first quarter, wasn't great for the Titans. The game was a bit of a snooze fest. I think Buffalo went up 6-0. And then all of a sudden, Derrick Henry has the 76-yard touchdown run. And 
it immediately felt like a different game because when he's going, it it's hard to beat the Titans. It really is. And everything else finally started to click. A.J. Brown, who had one catch, if that, I think, with like seven minutes to go in the first half, ends up with his best game of the season, a 90-plus yard performance. Henry continued to dominate, scoring three touchdowns. Tannehill, to an extent, settled down. Uh, I couldn't believe it. He didn't get sacked. The offensive line was stellar. He had a pocket to throw from. Uh, Just an all-around good performance from the Titans. It's usually very cliche and and like team talking points when people at press conferences are like, this was a complete team win. But when Tannehill said that last night, I just start nodding. I'm like, yep, yep, that's it. That's it. That's what happened. Yeah, no one really, you know, caused the Titans to to possibly lose this game. I think maybe Janoris Jenkins because he had a couple uh, a couple yeah, of really it, bad plays. He caused that uh, a Beasley touchdown. Yeah, and he also got. I mean, I'm not going to fault him too much for getting beat by Stefan Dacus. That guy's a stud. So I, I don't want to uh, blame him all that much for that. But it seems like the Beasley touchdown was completely uh, on him. And I mean, they they went over it on the broadcast, and, and it did seem like it was his responsibility. Um, and then I think he got got chewed out by by Anthony Midget, the defensive backs coach. So, so it was definitely on him. Um, but yeah, the offensive line played well. Uh, the Bills did get some pressure on Tannehill, uh, but T- Tannehill did very well to escape or, you know, just maneuver around in the pocket uh, and, and kind of throw off a different platform. I-, I didn't think he played well in the first half. I thought he played pretty well in the second half. Um, so he kind of saved his day a little bit. Honestly, just getting the ball to A.J. Brown was was one of the bigger uh, the bigger improvements that the Titans made in the second half, just starting to get that play action going. I mean, that play action where, you know, obviously fake it to Henry and then get A.J. Brown or any receiver really uh, going on a slant or crosser across the middle, it's undefeated. Like, it works almost every time. It's crazy. I don't know how, but getting back to that was huge because that's, like, been a staple of the Titans' offense for the past couple of seasons uh, and getting back to that in the second half was a key reason that the Titans uh, were able to get back on track and just outscore uh, the Bills in the second half. So uh, that was really good to see. Yeah, it does sort of seem like the Titans have two or three unstoppable plays. Like It feels like designed cutbacks with Henry are unstoppable, that sort of outside zone play action with like the slant route from AJ Brown or to AJ Brown feels almost unstoppable, and then the Tannehill Derrick Henry quarterback read like the, those all that, just seem that's like the plays money that play right there. The zone, read. yeah, it's it's like you you could convince me that there's a world where they run those three plays, you know, <laughs> a couple of times each on a drive, and they score almost every time because there's really no way to effectively stop those like. If you're going to try to stop the outside zone, that's where the play action comes from. If you're going to try to, you know, play tentative, that's where the cutback comes from. It's like if they get in short down in distances, that's where the read option comes from. So it's like, you know, they seem to have these trump cards, and I'm assuming, you know, they know just as well as we do how effective they are, and that's why they save them for key situations. But man, like, it, it sure seemed like once they let Tannehill kind of go more up tempo and, you know, 
play more, you know, do more of the aggressive play action stuff in the fourth quarter when he went nine for nine. Like there was a lot of the old school stuff that we haven't seen Downing call, but we've seen Arthur Smith call. So I don't know how much of that was Tannehill pushing for like, let's do this because they're crowding the box and I know it'll work or whatever, but whatever that was, bottle it up and use it from here on out. It's it's a game where so much went right, I guess, that I almost wanted to ask Brable after the game, like, like how did you win? <laughs> like, I was just curious as to what he would say looking back. And, and l- let's contextualize this, guys, because we were talking last week. I talked all week about this. I, I wrote about it in my column for the week about how this game was going to, one way or the other, reset our expectations for the Titans because they had the clunkers against the Jets and the Cardinals, the unconvincing wins against the Colts and the Jags. The Seattle game was nice, but it was a bit of an outlier. And we were sitting here going, are they they any good? Is the Seattle game indicative of who they really are? Is the whole Mike Vrabel Titans struggle against bad teams and then rise to the occasion against the good ones, is that still in effect? And it is. And and so now, I think as we look at this team and look at their uh, potential for the rest of the season, before the year we talked about these guys as shoe-in division champions who, with a healthy Julio Jones, can go on a playoff run, That that's still who they are, No. Now, now, I don't want to fall in this trap of, man, they beat the Bills Super Bowl bound. Like, no, I'm not overreacting to one win. This one win is confirming what we sort of were already thinking. Like, this is a classic Vrabel Titans team uh, that, in a lot of ways, is better than they were last year. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to overreact either, but... I mean, the fact that they can beat the Bills, I mean, they showed it last year, but the Bills came into this game looking like possibly the best team in the NFL. And the Titans went toe-to-toe with them. They showed that they can beat them, um, and they did it in, I I thought it was a pretty convincing way because I thought the defense played rather well. I know it's kind of crazy to say for a team that gave up 31 points, but the Bills are one of the most high-powered offenses in the league, um, and they did come into this game not great in red zone touchdown percentage and the Titans did very well in terms of red zone defense. Um, and that was, that was a key to, to this win. So I thought the Titans came out of this, um, very convincingly. I, I feel better about them. I do still think they're very prone to, you know, like you said, a stinker because they've shown to be that kind of team in the past. Um, but they can beat any team. And, and I think when, when you can do that, you can, you sure you can be a Super Bowl contender just because you've shown the ability to beat these teams that are among the best in the NFL. And I mean, we'll see what happens this next week. Uh, I think the injuries might catch up to them this week. But if this team is fully healthy, they're going to make a, they're obviously going to make the playoffs, but they're going to make a pretty nice run. Uh, I think, uh, deep into the playoffs, which is crazy for me to say because I'm usually the most negative person here, I think. Uh, so what's the, you know, there was some tweet that was going around earlier in, in the offseason where 
I think it was Daniel Jeremiah was the one who did it where it was like, this is what you looking back over the last 10 years. This is what you have to have to win a championship. And it was like, you need to have two defensive players playing at a high level in the front seven, one defensive back playing at a high level, you know, then one receiving threat, like one elite receiving threat, one elite uh, other offensive weapon, whether it's tied in or running back and a good quarterback. And then, you know, uh, some other things. And, you know, you think about that and the Titans have deficiencies. Like there's, there's places where they need more out of certain guys or whatever, but they also do seem to have really good, you know, superstar ish type players at almost every position across the board. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about it specifically or not, but you look at Harold Landry and how good he's been. And you look at Jeffrey Simmons and you're like, yeah, like, it would not shock me if those two guys just took over a game and they, you know, they combined for three sacks yesterday and a goal line stop on fourth down. So maybe that was the game that they took over, but you know, they, they're both good, high impact players. When Fulton's back, he's a high impact player. We saw a, you know, sickly AJ Brown and a slightly banged up Julio Jones come back and, you know, they both contributed. I think they combined for three explosive plays of 20 or more receiving yards. It, you know, they they all seem like when they're on the field, they can be these impact players and they can do what we thought they could do. Like, I mean, they're beating good teams. They beat Seattle in Seattle at home. Which, I mean, that's a hard thing to do, even if Seattle's, you know, not the team that they've always been, they beat the Colts in a division game and they beat them handily. And now the Colts, I think have won two of their last three and they went to overtime with the Ravens. So, you know, it's, it's not like it's an Owen six team there. Like they've shown up when they've needed to show up. But again, it's just the old Mike Vrabel thing. It Mike Vrabel's whole thing. And we talk about it every year and we call it ahead of time. And then, you know, we look back on it and say, we're right. But, he just cannot get the guys motivated to go, you know, win against bad teams. And he somehow gets them up and gets them ready when they're considered underdogs. Like, that's his whole life. Here's something I want to ask you guys about. Because as I was thinking today, like going into yesterday's game is one of those games where I knew what I was going to write, whatever the outcome. If they lost it, it was a disaster. What I was going to write is, hey, these guys just aren't very good. It's time to start thinking about building for next year, even though they're probably going to make the playoffs in a bad division. If they won, or if it was close, it was, hey, they actually are pretty good. Keep an eye out. Ended up being the latter. We know so well what a Mike Vrabel Titans team is. What are you looking, I guess, over the rest of the season, guys, to learn about this team? Because, frankly, I don't know what the takeaway is if they beat the Chiefs on Sunday, for example. Um, hmm. The takeaway for me would be that they're a very like, good team. The sorry to interrupt, but I'm just thinking, like, last night on the way home, I was talking to a, a friend of mine. And I say, like, if this is a Madden franchise, you just hit Sim to playoffs at this point. Like, it, it's, you know? Yeah, yeah. They actually, I, I was looking, Mike Clay uh, came out with rest of season um, st- strength of schedule. And I think the Titans have, like, the third easiest in the entire league. Um, so, 
I mean, they, they're going to make the playoffs. I think it, it would be a, a, a cataclysmic disaster. Well, I mean, a, a injury to the quarterback <laughs> or the running back. I think even if Henry gets God hurt, forbid. they're still in the playoffs. Hey, yeah. let's uh, not play this yeah. game. Yeah, let's not do this. Let's not do this. But let's keep that, moving. That aside, if everyone stays healthy and whatever, they're obviously going to make the playoffs. And like, I don't, I'm not sold on any other team in the AFC. To be honest with you, like, I think the Ravens are good, but the Titans have shown that they know how to defend Lamar Jackson uh, for the most part. And if the offense keeps improving, I think they can attack the the Ravens defense uh pretty well uh the chargers might be a little fraudulent to be honest with you they got absolutely crushed by the ravens that defense isn't looking uh all that great they already beat the bills the chiefs have a horrific defense that did play well this last week uh but they have been really bad for the entire season so i don't know like they're right in it like with the with the best of the afc so i mean i feel good going forward and in terms of what I want to see from them, I guess as this regular season goes on, I, I'm just interested by the defense because I've been critical of them throughout the season, but I've liked a lot of the things that they've done over the past couple of weeks, uh, especially in this Bills game. Um, I'm really impressed by the pass rush. They keep getting home. I mean, they sacked Josh Allen three times, uh, and, and a couple of those, or maybe all three, came at like very opportune times. Uh, which is something that we just haven't been able to have in the past. So seeing the de- defense play rather well, and if they could just keep eliminating these these coverage busts that just keep happening, but they seem to be happening due to you know the players and not even the scheme. So I'm interested in that. If they could keep that up, uh, I'm going to feel even more confident going into the stretch run and into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they, there's only one team with a clearly better record, like, like you kind of hinted at, and that's the Ravens, it, just in terms of the AFC. Like, everybody else at the top is 4-2. and two. So, you know, like, strength of schedule, whatever. Like, the fact is that the team, the, the Titans, if they beat the Bills and the Chiefs, will have shown that they're capable of beating any team in the NFL. And anything less than a win is going to be a failure of coaching or the other team just has some distinct advantage that the Titans can't beat because you know, what, what are the, if you combine the bills and the chiefs, what are they lacking? I mean, the bills came in with a number one defense, number one scoring defense, and number one scoring offense in the NFL and the Titans beat them. So you could argue that they simultaneously showed that they could beat the best offense and the best defense in the league. So I, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not there's no excuses for losing any more games. It's that if they're properly motivated and if they have a good game plan in place that you should kind of assume that they're going to be able to win the game. Like at the very least they should be in a competitive spot late. So yeah, I mean, they're 4 and 2 now. They've got a pretty tough three-game stretch or so after this. They've got uh, the Chiefs next, obviously, and then after that, they've got the Colts on the road and the Rams on the road, and then the Saints at home. That and that's that's a tough stretch. You know, I don't know if the Saints are necessarily the same dangerous team that they always have been, but that doesn't always matter for the Titans. But the point is, if you're four and two, and you come out of that stretch six and four, you know, and you you beat the Colts in that time, you know, six and four with 
Houston still on the schedule twice, Jacksonville on the schedule, the Patriots, the Dolphins who look terrible. Like, you know, it's never easy to get to double digit wins, but 10 wins makes sense. And then at a certain point, you're just playing for seeding. So, you know, this team should be playoff bound. They're talented enough. They've got the right sort of division. And then at that point, it's can you win four games? Can you win three games? You know, depending on whether you get the buy or whatever. And, you know, if they beat Kansas City, there's no reason why they shouldn't be competitive for the buy, you know, from here on out. So I guess we'll see. But, I mean, this is a talented team. And I think if they beat the Chiefs, like you kind of said, what would happen then? I think that would have to be the story. You know, yeah. Have we, in a way, matured in how we evaluate this team? Not necessarily us as like reporters, but again, we we know this. We know Mike Vrabel so well at this point that our reaction after the Jets game was not, "Man, they suck." What happened? It was, "Yeah, that's kind of what they do." See, you, see, see in a couple weeks against the Bills, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it, 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 they're so predictable. <laughs> Well, the same thing happened for the Seahawks game. No one thought they were going to win, and I, we were we I were like, them to win yesterday. This is this is what and they someone do." Was, someone was like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, what, what?" I'm like, they, "These are the games they win. Come on." Yeah, I mean, you can't like, it, heaven forbid, if the Chiefs open at like a four and a half favorite. Like, I know I think they were a four point favorite before the Titans game, but if you give Vrabel a four-and-a-half-point thing to put on the wall and say, hey, nobody's ever believed in you. All the cameras are here to see other people. Like, I mean, he'll beat that speech into the ground. Like, he knows it back and forth, and it works for whatever reason. So, you know, it, they, they're just properly motivated. What I would say, I think we've all kind of matured in different directions because at this point, Mike Vrabel is a Rorschach test. You kind of see what you're going to see because he's not changing. So after that, it's just what's your interpretation of what you're seeing. So that that's what I would say. I th- this this game was was big. Th- this was a big win. If they beat the Chiefs, like they're going to be in a really good spot. I I think it's crucial for them to have home field advantage in the playoffs. I don't know if that's either getting the the buy or, or even the two seed. Like that's huge, man. Because I really do feel like they play a lot better at home. They do um, than they do on the road. They they do, yeah. Even though like week one was a disaster, I mean, but first of all, the Cardinals might be incredibly good, and I also think that was kind of a, kind of a fluke. Like I don't think that will ever happen. I remember again. my first year with A to Z writing a story about home field advantage and talking to Byard and and Brian Rackpo. And and my takeaway from that is you have a home field advantage even if it's silent because like you don't have to travel, you sleep in, you know, your own bed the night before, you know, it it there's a comfort level to that and, and I think you're on to something and I think they have a shot to get the number 1 seed. I I don't predict they'll get it because I think they're too inconsistent to have the record at the end of the season that you need to to get one of those or, or, or to get that top seed. Um but they'll win the division. They'll host a playoff game. I I want to talk about Derrick Henry briefly. We you know we don't need to spend twenty minutes talking about oh he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We know that that's not new information. Who other than him is MVP right now? 
he is, it's not that he's dragging the Titans, because the Titans are a well-built team, and they're coached well, but he's their lifeblood. Yeah, um, I don't know. Kyler, maybe. I mean, I think that makes sense because he's playing exceptional in their 6-0. Yeah, and I think Josh Allen was definitely, I mean, he still is a contender because he, I mean, he played really well uh, in this Titans game, but but this one might ding him. I, I don't know. I, I don't think they would give it to a running back just because they haven't done so in so, has I don't even remember the last running back to win MVP. Oh, Peterson, yeah, that's true. Um, but, I mean, Derrick Henry is, is on pace to have an even better season than that. And, I mean, he's on pace to have the best season ever, the best running back season ever, and possibly one of the greatest offensive seasons, period. It, like, it's insane. The thing I go back to with that Adrian Peterson season to compare the two is Adrian Peterson's quarterback was Christian Ponder, and his number one receiver was Jerome Simpson. The defense knew every play what was coming, and they still had no shot. Derrick Henry does have the benefit of a good quarterback and a good wide receiver whenever one of the two of them is healthy, but I don't think that should be counted against him necessarily. No, and also, they still stack the box against Henry very often. Like He's consistently facing like eight-man boxes, and and it just does not matter. I actually... I I don't have the stats for it, but I feel like he's actually better against stacked boxes. I don't know how, but that's just how it works. Yeah, I, I again, I, I don't want to dive too 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 deep into like how good is Derrick Henry because, like you said, we've talked about it before. But yeah, I mean, he's incredible. Like you know, it's crazy. He only rushed the ball twenty times last night. Like it, it feels like he ran it. 40 times, right? Like he averaged seven, 7.2 yards per carry. And he had only had 20 care. Like he caught three passes, maybe two, just two passes, but he only carried the ball 20 times. Like that's gotta be his lowest attempts all year. And he had 143 yards, including a 76 yarder and three touchdowns. So I I mean, the, the only person who I can see looking over it right now who has a good argument for somebody who's making more of an impact is Tom Brady in Tampa. Like people aren't talking about it. Cause you know, Tom Brady just kind of is what he is in terms of, you know, he's going to be put up MVP numbers. It's just to somebody beat him. But I mean, he's on pace to throw for 5,800 yards and let's see, like 40, almost 50 touchdowns. He's it's got seven touchdowns. Yeah. Like, the games, the games aren't really competitive. Like, I mean, they're they're winning at such a high clip that it's like, you know, they beat the Cowboys, who look great. You know, they lost to the Rams in L.A. That happens, but I mean, really, no other game has been competitive. Forty-eight points against the Falcons. They beat the Patriots in that emotional game when everything seemed like it wasn't going well for them. They beat the Dolphins by like thirty something points. I mean. The the Eagles came back to make it look respectable, and then they kind of have cakewalks. Like they've got the Bears defense, which is good but not great. And then I mean, they play the Giants, the Colts, Washington looks terrible. They play the Falcons again. Like he's going to put up a million yards. So like, 
I, I mean, it's his if he wants it, but I, I think that the defining trait in, or, or defining qualifier, I guess is what I should say, uh, of Derrick Henry's MVP run this year is that you have to say, okay, he got snubbed in 2020 because it's a quarterback award. We're going to give y'all one more shot to recognize how great he is. After that, we're just going to assume that this is just a quarterback award and not truly the MVP award. Uh, that, that's the only way you can qualify it. Say like, look, maybe you missed it, but he rushed for 2000 yards last year. We're going to give you another shot because he's going to do it again. And he's also going to have 30 touchdowns or something close to that. So, you know, if you don't recognize it now, just be prepared to, for everybody to acknowledge that this trophy is a joke. I need to get negative now. We've given the win its due credit. I need to get negative about Julio Jones. Let me say this. When he has been out there, it has been as advertised. It has been Julio Jones, the many-time Pro Bowl and All-Pro receiver that the Titans thought they were trading for. But a lot of times he's not out there. And that's a problem. And look, the whole team's hurt, and we'll get into the injury list momentarily. But, and this isn't like an attack on anyone. It's not me saying they need to do a better job of getting these guys prepared because I think that's a stupid take. Or Julio Jones needs to be tougher because that's equally stupid. I am just pointing out the fact that this cannot keep up. Like, this is bad. Julio's great, but it can't be easy on the coaching staff when your best player on the perimeter is in and out and in and out and unreliable in terms of his availability. And look, they want to talk about availability is the best ability. And that's why they like Marcus Johnson so much because he was there in training camp. I want to see that same energy directed at Julio Jones, who has barely been available this year. He's played 2.5 games, basically. And again, this isn't an indictment on Julio Jones. I'm not saying there's anything he needs to be doing better. I'm just saying that this is a problem. And I asked Frable today, I'm like, when your great players who you game plan around go out, like, doesn't that sort of put a fork in the road in terms of the game plan? I mean, it's one thing if, you know, I don't know, like Taylor Lewan goes down, it's a big blow, but you just put in the new left tackle and you move on. But when someone that you were designing a scheme around, and and Vrabel said uh, he, he said that for the most part it was business as usual, but they did have but they did have to scrap a few plays when Julio Jones went out, and and I don't like that. Like that that's not something that needs to be common, you know. Yes, it's frustrating, but. I think this was a very real risk that the Titans took. Like they knew that last year Julio Jones had dealt with uh, hamstring injuries in particular, and it kept him out of a lot of games and he kept coming in and out of games. Um, And I think the same thing might've happened in 2019. Also Um, this kind of just came with the territory that this was a real possibility that he's getting older. He might need a little bit more management and these soft tissue things might pop up and yes it's frustrating 
But I think the Titans took that chance knowing very well that this was a possibility. And unfortunately, it's coming true. But they acquired him to go win a Super Bowl. So as long as he's healthy for the stretch run and the playoffs, we're not even going to we're not even going to talk about this at that point, but yes, it is frustrating and it does put a dent in the Titans offensive uh, ceiling at least. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it sucks when players are injured. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I guess the, the question is, is he worth the risk to have like it? Cause I mean, you like you said, he, when he's on the field, he's good. I think he has six 15-yard or more reset, like six receptions that went for more than 15 yards this year. I think three of them went for more than 25, and then two of them have gone for 50. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good for only seeing the field for what he saw. But yeah, like it, the question is, is it worth, you know, let's say he plays – 12 games this year and then he spends five on the bench and then they have him for the playoffs. Is it worth the risk? And I mean, to me, the answer is yeah. Like you don't get a guy like who, like Matias said, you don't get a guy like Julio Jones. Cause you want to go from winning 11 regular season games to 12. You get it because last year when Corey Davis, you know, went down, you didn't have any other options. And now you've added, you know, Marcus Johnson, who they love, Chester Rogers, who they like, Nick Westbrook-Aquino, who they were force-feeding, who did well last night, A.J. Brown, and Julio Jones. So you hope that you've got that elite top end, and then you try to support underneath with a whole new group of supporting cast guys. And so, like, I think that's that's the move, you know. And you just expect him, once he gets to the playoffs, to, you know, Last night he came out in the fourth quarter because of a hamstring thing that Mike Frabel said today was day to day. I'm going to assume that he would have gone back in if that was a playoff game. If nothing else, then to be a decoy and draw attention and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, like, I mean, you'd love everybody to be fully healthy so and place. I'm going to respond to that. The whole, because that's what we were hearing from a lot of fans ahead of the Jets and Jacksonville game. It's, well, they're probably just holding them out because the teams aren't very good and they're saving him for Buffalo. I, I, I get the logic, but then I don't. Like, at a certain point, don't you just have to play your guys? Yeah, but that points the playoffs. I, I don't know, man. Like, you talk about we got to go 1-0 every week and then you're not going full throttle. Well... Yeah, because they're liars. <laughs> they don't have to go one and zero every week. They know that. <laughs> like, that, I'm I'm pretty sure they're aware of the rest of their division, and they're not they're not like, oh man, if we don't if we don't go one and zero every week and win, I mean, that they, they they know the deal. They know what they have to say. You know, listen to Derrick Henry after every game, and he'll compliment the other team that he just ran on for 120 <laughs> yards. Like they've all they've all been schooled on what to say. That's that is the height of nonsense. You know that that is what we are trying to stop. So, you know, it, yeah, like okay, go one and zero every week. That sounds awesome. But let's be real here. Like this is not a team that's desperate to get to the playoffs. This is a team that's desperate to win in the playoffs. So, you know, 
it's it's awfully convenient that everybody was like, wow, I bet these guys will be healthy for Buffalo and Kansas City, and they last, were, and then they, you know, they were both contributors. So last, I don't know. Last like, point on this: D- is yeah. there not a point where he has to get in rhythm with Tannehill and Henry and AJ Brown, or or do you just expect that? You know, when uh, when January rolls around, that it's just you flip a switch and all right, everything's great. Well, they haven't looked out of rhythm. They haven't looked in it, one. though. Yeah, that was Hit a well, the Seattle game. Yeah, Seattle. He was great. I mean, they they were in sync. He had six. He has six receptions for fifteen plus yards. <laughs> Three of those went for. Uh, 25 or longer, maybe it's 22 or longer, and then two went for 50. Like, you know, that that feels like a lot. Like, I, I don't know with how fe- how rare it is for this offense to pass it all anyway. Like that that feels like a lot of chemistry that they built. But yeah, specifically Seattle and uh, Indianapolis when AJ went out early, like that that was the passing game for the first you know half or you know right over half. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to look ahead a little bit. We're going to talk about the injury list, the pile up there, and we will preview the Kansas City Chiefs. You are listening to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. The injuries are piling up for the Tennessee Titans. It's beyond Julio Jones. He's probably, honestly, the least concerning of all of these. Just last night, or or Monday night, whenever you're listening to this, Julio Jones, hamstring, Taylor Lewan, at first looked like he might be in deep peril, turns out to be a, a concussion, Caleb Farley, torn ACL, Cameron Batson, torn ACL, Chris Jackson, foot injury, uh, there was another one, no? Am I forgetting one? Who did you say? Um, did you say Lawan Batson? Yeah, Lawan Batson, Farley. Jackson, Farley, Julio. Uh-huh. Well, I think that what's happening is there's just so many each game that it's hard to keep track <laughs> well, of which happened when. I guess maybe since Fulton. The last, yeah, that's since the last. Yeah, Fulton, time. Fulton was last week, and he he's out for another two games at least. Hooker yeah. got got back. That was good. Rabel Rabel said today he thought he played well. Thought he was prepared. Um, coming back. Who? Brett Kern. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> it, it's a problem. And look, I'm all about next man up. I'm all about, you know, we'll put 22 out there and go get a win. Because I think that's the mentality that you have. And Mike Vrabel is right whenever he talks about, you know, the NFL has a 100% injury rate. But good night, at a certain point, you just run out of juice. I mean, the Titans are going to go... They're, they're home, but they're going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to take on Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And and who's their other receiver? Michael Hardman. Hardman. Miko Hardman with the likes of Jack Rabbit Jenkins, who I thought PFT commenter hilariously pointed out yesterday, sounds like a cowboy whose plans always get foiled. Um. Jack Rabbit Jenkins, Elijah Molden, and Chris Jones and Brian Body Calhoun and Breon Borders. Breon Borders, who, who by the way, like has zero ball skills, none, zero awareness when the football is in the air. Like th- 
This is a get-right type of game for Patrick Mahomes, if you're looking at this on the surface. Well, he has been right. That, so that that's why, that's why it's even more concerning. Um, I mean, he's I been mean, turning he's the ball th- over more than he usually yes. does. Yes, that is true. Although a couple of them have been directly Tyreek. Uh, Tyreek Hill's fault. Just, just like teleports the, the ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the Lord. defense. It's very weird. Um, I look. Mahomes is going to throw the ball all over the Titans' defense. Uh, I I don't really have any doubts about that. Um, and yes, I am concerned about the 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 injuries to the cornerbacks in particular, just because, like you said, some of those guys who are very not good and their backups, they're going to play. So, I mean, it's going to be up to Shane Bowen to just put his guys in positions to not mess up if that if that makes any sense just like keep everything in front of you don't get beat deep and just settle down in the red zone which is kind of what the the titans plan was against the bills unfortunately they had a couple of cracks like we talked about with that cole beasley um miscommunication and, and then stefan diggs uh got open for another touchdown and manny sanders had a catch late that that was pretty deep as well, but they did a really good job, especially in the red zone. Once the offense got there, just kind of settling down and either forcing them to, to get a field goal or, or, or whatever. If the Titans could do that, then, then they should be able to not control this game, but, but be in it for the duration of it. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be up to the coaching staff to just put their defensive cornerbacks that are left in a position to uh you know to 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 just win but i mean we'll see we'll, we'll see what they can cook up i do think they've done uh, a rather good job over the past couple of weeks and i think they did a good job in the bills game uh once all these injuries were happening guys were just getting put into situations that they shouldn't have been put into and they did a pretty decent job yeah, and one thing that kind of stands out is it, it's not like Mahomes' interceptions are going to like top end corners. He has one that got picked off by Gregory Russo, and he had, which was directly his fault. And then he has one that was picked off by Bobby McCain. Like you know, the, there's a lot of times where it's his wide receivers not doing their job, like we talked about with Tyreek Hill, and they basically just miss the ball and it goes behind them and it gets tipped up. You know that nightmare scenario, and that's kind of the Titans bread and butter. Like they don't, they seem to not mind if you catch the ball. Like they, they don't care what they really hope you do is you let one go high and you don't secure it or it gets tipped at the line and picked or, you know, that that's what, or it hangs in the air too long. Like they're not really interested in playing tight man coverage across the field. They want to get, you know, tips and balls that shoot straight up in the air. And that that's kind of what they play for. Like, there was a pass that Josh Allen threw last night where it, it was, mm, I mean, I, I know the Danico Autry hit that turned into an interception, but there was another one where it got popped straight up in the air and it, Allen had to run and jump and knock it down. Dupree, before. but Dupree. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dupree knocked it up. Yeah. And then it, you know, it, it was like, it was almost an interception there. And so it's like that, that's something that Jeffrey Simmons has also done a lot of like tipped passes straight up. Harold Landry's done that too. Like, you know, so that's kind of something that the Titans do well. So that, that helps. But 
Yeah, I mean, the good news is it doesn't matter who you have at corner. If Patrick Mahomes is playing well, it's tough. Like, that, you know, they're not going to cover those guys. Like, you've just got to hope to be able to score with them and be opportunistic. So, you know, it almost, it almost doesn't really matter, as weird as it sounds. Like, as long as your guy just doesn't completely blow coverage, and that's kind of what the safeties are for. But... Yeah, like I, I don't feel any more confident necessarily than I would if any of those other corners were help, healthy except for Fulton. I just know we're going to be seeing a lot of zone over the next few weeks because we saw a lot of it on Monday night, probably the most I can ever remember from a Vrabel Titans game. And it's smart because you don't have the personnel to match up one-on-one with guys. You know, now you go back like I'm not even going to criticize them for the off coverage anymore unless it's just blatant. You know, it's third and four and they're playing 11 yards off or something. Because, like, the the goal now is just don't get beat because you don't have the personnel to jam and be physical and to challenge guys. You, you, you just try to set the quarterback up to fail with your zone coverage. Yeah. Which, yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? Because they were already yeah. accidentally doing that with their man coverage. Is they already <laughs> didn't know how to play that. So, like, you might as well concede the thing you can't do anyway. I do not know how to play man coverage. It's the you play for Mike Vrabel for one year, and it <laughs> seems to just completely leave your brain. I mean, there doesn't seem to be like a whole lot of schematic learning there. I mean, maybe obviously technique, but hey, get your guy on this play. That that's the coaching. Yeah, that's the scheme. it should be. What do we think about this game, guys? I'm I'm having trouble. Like I, I was pretty confident about the Titans versus the Bills. I don't know how I feel because you know we're used to them following up good performances with duds, but we're also used to them playing well against good teams. It's it's like there's a bit of a uh, <laughs> a bit of a, a, some dissonance there. Yeah, I I think the Titans are going to be able to move the ball in this game. I think the Chiefs will also move the ball a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can see it going either way. I think being at home is is a pretty big uh, plus, and I think it gives the Titans uh, a better chance to win than if it was at Arrowhead. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I love the matchup, given all the Titans injuries at cornerback uh, against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, and you said uh, we're probably going to play a lot of zone, which is probably true. But, I mean, against Travis Kelsey, who just eats zone alive, and Tyree Kill, who could find pockets of space, and then just does so much after the catch, it's tough. It's going to be really tough. Like I said, the red zone defense is going to have to be stellar like it was in the, in, in the Buffalo Bills game. Uh, and I think if it is, they'll, they'll give themselves a chance. But, I mean, the Titans always have a chance, especially against a, a defense like the Chiefs that just gives up so many big plays particularly in the run game. I mean, Derrick Henry's going to just destroy them because their linebackers just are not good at all. They probably have some of the worst linebacker play in the entire NFL. So Derrick Henry's going to eat. And if Julio is healthy, I mean, Julio and A.J. Brown are, should have good games. The The Chiefs just, they're not good on defense, man. I know they played well against Washington, but Tyler Heineke, He's been found out. Like he is, he's that back. organization's he's a, a freaking joke, man. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I 
didn't want to say it like that, but yes, they are. They have been a disaster this Sean year. Taylor stuff. I mean, was that someone Ooh, stopped that the nonsense? Uh, no, no, but no. we should talk about it. <laughs> and in fact, that they- she, did you guys see the the Jackson Mahomes thing? By the way, yeah, that's wow, up. that was bad. Yeah, that whole like he's he's sort of the worst. Like people should hate him. Like I don't understand that at all. He's like notoriously the worst. I don't know why they claim it's not a publicity stunt to retire Sean Taylor's jersey number, but like Sean Taylor's a franchise legend. Obviously, his life has ended entirely too soon, and you make the decision to retire his jersey number in the middle of week six and then do it promptly like four days later. Like, what is this a funeral where you have to act quickly? Super random, super weird. And like, Washington. Yeah. I can't think of any reason why they would have done that. Like, <laughs> so, like there's no, no reason to expedite I, it. Right. I can't eat. Like there was a tweet where it pointed out like, you know, the owner was in a hoodie when he met with the family and like the ceremony was very like underdone. Well, the like this the road or whatever that they named after him, like was like it had porta potties behind it. Yeah. Like it was not roped off as some like venue to like take pictures at. It was just his family staying in front of us some porta potties. Like it's it's insane. Like there I mean Washington is just a terrible franchise, but I, I I'm going to go back to the Kansas City Chiefs game while while it's fresh <laughs> in my mind. I, I just looked it up. Their Kansas City's defense is fifth worst in points allowed. Their uh, bot their bottom eight in rushing yards allowed and passing yards allowed. So basically, no matter what you want to do, and I mean, like like you said, like they didn't play any tough, like they did play some tough teams. Sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. But it's not like they've exclusively played tough teams. I mean, they played the Eagles. They played Washington this past week. Like, I, I mean, I, I look, the Chargers are tough. I get that. Like, the, the Ravens are tough. I get that. The Browns are tough. I get that. But it's like, put forth some effort. Like, it's it's... I don't know. Like their defense is bad, so you know. I mean, this game is probably going to turn out to be which team gets the most turnovers and who has the ball last. Like it's all going to be situational football because it should be really easy to move the ball between the twenties. It's just can you make you know uh, <laughs> the Chiefs who've turned the ball over since week two? They've turned it over twice in week two, four times in week three. Once in week four, four times in week five, three times last week. Like they, they are just not an efficient team, and they're with their backup running back and Clyde Edwards-Alaire being out. And you know that, like, I, I don't know. Like this, this is a much worse Kansas City Chiefs team than the one they played a few years ago when the Titans beat them at home. Yeah. It's true. And also, Tyree Kill's a little banged up. He's got a quad injury, even though he toughed through it last week. And Kelsey got kind of banged up late. He came back in the game, but I think he hurt his shoulder or his hand, maybe. So, like, they're kind of banged up, too, coming into this one. So, uh, Also, while we're talking about banged up hands, I forgot to mention that Joe Tooney, their guard, is playing with, like, broken hands. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's 
cool. Like, that's cute against Washington, who's got a terrible defense this year. You don't want that against Jeffrey Simmons. Like, you know, it takes four hands to stop him on good days. So, I, I, I don't know. Is there anything else about that Buffalo game that we didn't talk about? I feel like there was just so much. I think we got to everything. Byard, no. Byard had a great game. Byard, Byard playing very well this year. Danico Autry, Harold Landry, all playing exceptionally well. Landry yeah. is taking that step that that you know. Yes, I, you know I was pretty negative about Harold Landry throughout last season. This is what I wanted. Mm. This is what I was saying. I need to see from Harold Landry before I buy in, and and I'm seeing it, and I'm bought in now. Yeah, um, I mean he's, he's been third in the NFL in sacks. So. Like it, it's all, it, that's all good. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to like toot my horn too much about that. Like everybody <laughs> knows I'm a Harold Landry guy, but uh, I mean, let, let's talk about Danico Autry for just a second, because like you said, I mean, he's making the plays that people don't really see. Like everybody oh, remembers I, that. I, I think you can see it. Like I'm watching well, that game last night in the stadium and I'm seeing that guy disrupt constantly. Yeah. It's like, it goes down as a quarterback hit, but it, turned into an interception by Kevin Byard, which turned into a touchdown by Derrick Henry. Like the, the, you know, it's almost like a second assist in hockey where it's like nobody credits you for setting it up because it's, you know, the highlight is this guy in this play, but really he did the stuff and you know, he's doing that consistently now. So I remember people week one were upset that Laurel Murchison was getting snaps ahead of him and Murchison was good before he got hurt. Like that, that's no, this is no, shot at Murchison, but Autry's just been exceptionally good. And for all the hate and, you know, slander that Bud Dupree's getting as he kind of rounds back into shape, uh, Danico Autry's picked up plenty of that slack. So, you know, the, if you're looking for an offseason you know, pass rush edition, just focus on Autry. You'll be pleasantly surprised if you haven't already. Autry, Vrabel had a great quote about Autry yesterday. He got asked about him and he said, man, that guy's fun to coach. It was just a really sort of sweet moment, I thought. Yeah, he's great. I I can't remember the last time the Titans have played this well uh, on the defensive line. Like they are, they are crushing. They're pretty disruptive. Much most of it. Yes, and all of them. Like even to your Tart is is out there getting quarterback hits, which is not something like he's supposed to do. Uh, but Dupree is still you know shaping in a form. But once he gets going. Add him to these other players who are just playing really well. Even Amani Bledsoe was making plays yesterday. Like it's crazy, uh, which is just—it's just not something we have seen for the oh. past couple of seasons, and it's awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, stop the nonsense, and and this is going to be a good one. I think we all have a lot of ammunition, including something that happened on Fox Sports One Tuesday morning that. I think we are all privy to, but we are obligated to talk about nonetheless. Stop the nonsense coming up. All right, folks. Lots of ammunition for this one. I've got a few things I want to talk about. Who would like to start? I mean, I, I started the the past few times, but I, I, I can, can definitely I can start. One. That's fine. I, I just don't want to take the time, so y'all, y'all can definitely go first if you'd like. Uh, so, first of all, very funny headline at the Titans Wire last week. It was a piece about Jalen Fly Sadler, the offensive lineman that's been standing outside the Titans facility holding a sign. Uh, it, he got an opportunity to play at some camp or to, to work out at some football camp. And the headline simply said, 
Jalen Fleisch Sadler gets shot at football camp. <laughs> and, and Matthias and I both read the story. Like, I was horrified. I'm like, oh, no. Like, he's such a nice guy, he seems like. <laughs> Read the comment. I like reading the story. Like I'm like, did they bury the lead? Like, where's the part where he's gonna get shot? <laughs> it, he meant like got a shot at the camp, not got shot at the camp. That was poorly phrased. Poorly phrased. That'll end up in a college journalism class someday. Um, also nonsensical. Misdirection runs. Please stop. What you're doing is you're giving the defense an extra second and a half. To penetrate. The Bills tried that last night and it just ended in a loss of one. Uh, and and then Chris Broussard, we can all talk about momentarily, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. So uh my mine is pretty I don't know, it's pretty well trodden territory just on the whole thing, but all the Vols fans who <laughs> were I guess I should disclose I, you know, graduated from UT, all that. But the Vols fans who acted like they, like the Vols had just committed a war crime because they threw stuff on on the field. I mean, y'all just got to go somewhere else. Like th- this is the problem with being a bad SEC team for so long. Is in the SEC this happens? Like it happened at Florida. It's happened at LSU. Like it's it happens all the time. Ole Miss threw stuff on Tennessee's basket, or like when they played Tennessee, they threw stuff on the basketball court. Like this happens. Like when you're a good team and you have a justifiably uh, a justifiable reason to be mad that you lost a game. Yeah. Like now, I don't condone throwing golf balls at Lane Kiffin. Having said that, he didn't seem too torn up about it. He, you know, he's making jokes about it, all that kind of stuff. It, the idea that he was getting pelted with golf balls or that it was anything more than just one crazy guy who might have had a golf ball in his pocket who threw it, like, just calm down. Yeah. The problem was it wasn't that there was any kind of danger. The problem was the mess they were creating, the disruption to the game, and the entitlement that they were all displaying. No one was in danger. There was no player safety problem. It was just yeah. a grand display of entitlement that disrupted a game and cost the university a lot of money. Yeah, like it's half as much as if they would have stormed the field after. So, I mean, you know, it it look, it's don't throw stuff on the field. Like I like I, I do actually not I mean that you shouldn't do that just because it's your own field. Like why would you mess up your own field? It's a bad look. But at the same time, like, you know, Display your anger. That, I've got no problem with that. Be mad if you want to be mad. Speaking of uh, college football, my stop the nonsense is <laughs> the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, Manny Diaz. For those of you who don't know, because you probably don't care about Hurricanes football uh, anymore because it's not the 1980s or 2001, I uh, the Hurricanes suck. So they lost to Bama by 31 week one. They barely beat Appalachian State. They lost to Michigan State by 21. They lost to Virginia. And then this week they lost to UNC um, when they had a chance to maybe get a field goal to tie or maybe a touchdown. And their quarterback's pass got batted in the air by a defensive lineman and it got picked to end the game. So anyway... Uh, Manny Diaz, after the game, he has had some terrible quotes this year. 
but this, this is the one that got me. We just can't find the play to get them to the victory that they deserve. There's a good team in that locker room. We don't have a good record. He's absolutely right. There is a good team in there because they have a lot of talented players, but they don't have a good record because the coach sucks. So it was pretty much just an indictment on himself, and he's pretty much telling on himself at this point. And I don't know how he's still the coach, but, well, I kind of do because the president of the Miami of the of the University of Miami doesn't like football and doesn't even care if they're good. So this was really just a venting session for a Canes fan. All right. It's Chris Broussard time. My man went on FS1 Tuesday morning and said that the Bills won, or excuse me, the Bills lost uh, because they couldn't overcome the travesty of losing their Pro Bowl left tackle title to one. What happened there? How does that happen? Um, I don't know. The funniest part was that, like he when he was starting to say that sentence, he started with like Tennessee. He was like about to say Tennessee left tackle Taylor Luan. Was but he really? He realized, I didn't that. Yes, yes. If you go back in here, like he was about to say Tennessee, um, and then he just went along with his train of thought and just put Taylor Luan on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, it's amazing. Like it, it's the same as the Stephen A. Smith from a couple years ago with Hunter Henry, who was on IR, um, and he said mm. you got to watch out for him. And yeah, then, but, this- but as we were talking about earlier, this is worse than that. At least Hunter Henry yeah. and Derek uh, Derek Williams played for those teams. Do you think Derek Johnson? Started- excuse me. Huh? Yeah, do you think he was like starting to say that and then he like he almost said Tennessee and then in his head he's like, Whew, dodged a bullet there. People would have really thought you were stupid <laughs> to set up. And then he's like his mouth just kept going and he was like, Wait, am I still talking? And he was like, Huh? Why isn't anybody talking about that? And then he didn't hear didn't hear what he said and he was like, Okay, I think that went fine. You know what's it bad when because uh, I saw I first saw the video when you sent it to us, Matthias. And then when I clicked on it, it had like a bunch of quote tweets, and I clicked on it, and the f- most recent quote tweet was from Jalen Ramsey. Like, yeah, it was uh, the, the actual Jalen Ramsey account tweeting it. Who is a big uh, Taylor Lewan fan? They're they're yeah friends. Was, so yeah. I mean, it, like, it's funny. Like, it's it's funny that it seems like if you're if you work at ESPN, that you know especially if they pay you a certain amount of money that they feel like you need to know about every sport. Like that's not, that's not what people watch and want. Like people don't want guys to know a little bit about everything. They would like for people to know which players are on the same teams, but like, just let your guys be focused on, you know, if you're going to focus on basketball, focus on basketball. If you're going to focus on baseball, focus on baseball. But like, I don't need, Pierre LeBron or whatever his name is, the guy who does all the hockey stuff. I don't need him telling me about the backup guard for the Titans. Like I don't need any of that stuff. So like, just let your guys be specialized and really good at one thing. They don't all have to be able to say a little bit incorrectly about a bunch of things. It's crazy. Absolutely. I I agree 100%. And and as Will Compton pointed out on Twitter, Broussard was so confident like he was saying it as if he had just like solved this great mystery or like like I think one of you said it was like you know what nobody else is talking about like 
he's he it's like he discovered something like he was like i can't believe it i'm the only one who said this like he searched like taylor lawan josh allen run and then it's like he realized that like nobody else had said it and he was like i'm about to drop this bombshell and then and then everybody's like that's the wrong team you moron so bad so bad all right well that's gonna do it for us fun game fun recap We'll be back next week after what should be another fun game between the Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs with quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Always fun to watch him play. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.